0: Excited to be in God's house this morning and diving back into God's Word. We're working through the book of Acts. If you've been here, you would know that. It's been a wonderful series, just learning so much about the church. But as you're opening your Bibles and we're in Acts 13, I feel like I need to just take a a second to clarify and extend a a little bit of an apology, uh, kind of make peace uh, with you as a community I feel like I, I maybe wronged some of you last week on Easter, and so I've tried to make it, it right here. So my family tried to reconcile last week. Literally, probably if you were here for Easter, probably one of the few times or maybe even only time I got a legit like boo from the audience with something negative about In and Out. And so anyway, I thought this would maybe make things okay. I did make notice that. Thank you. Thank you. So. My wife, uh, it was funny when we were uh, sitting down and she took a bite of the burger because I just talked about them not meeting expectations. And she took a bite and she's like, Scott, I love these burgers. (laughs) So she's maybe a little further along in the process than I am, but I feel like God's doing a work and uh, it's uh, something I'm willing to keep on pursuing. Anyway, speaking of food and California food that I love, I would suggest another California food that I've grown to love especially are avocados. Any other uh, uh, guacamole fans here? In fact, on Thursday night after the service, we had kind of an after party, if you will, and spent some time just enjoying some homemade guacamole, one of my favorite things in California. Are we friends now? Are we okay? Okay. But avocados, really enjoy them. In fact, when we moved into our house last year, I actually decided to, there's a little section of dirt, and we decided to plant two avocado trees. So in 20 years, we might have some. And, uh, and so, but actually, we were surprised. We had one come on one of the trees, and I took it off. It was like I had found the golden egg. I bring it into the house, you know, setting it there. And here's the part that is somewhat annoying with avocados is waiting for them to get ripe. Anybody else get annoyed by this a little bit? Is that don't boo me. Uh, I still love them. I'm there just trying to patiently wait. And then there's a an evening where I'm like, honey, I think I think it's ready. So I bring out the avocado. And uh, I, as I was thinking about this story, I was just planning to hoard it for myself. And uh, so so I I cut it up, get it, get it ready. And uh, she was telling me, she's like, Scott, she's like. That avocado's not ready yet. It's, it's, it's not ripe. I'm like, I think it's going to be fine. So I blazed past her counsel, and, uh, and so, and guess what? It was It was gross. It wasn't ripe yet. It was still hard. If you've ever eaten like a crunchy avocado, it's like, it's not that good. And in fact, I kind of forced myself to eat it because I'm like, man, it's from my own tree. I got to, but like in all honesty, it wasn't that great. And here's the reason why I'm talking about avocados and you're wondering even why it's in your sermon notes is here's the idea is Jesus in his teaching used all kinds of food. Fruits and, and, and farming things and analogies from nature. So I figured, you know what? If he can do it, we'll do it here this morning. And so this morning, this is the avocado principle that I wanted to point to you. And you're going to read this and you're going to be like, really, Scott, that's your best? But here's the idea people are at varying places of receptivity to the gospel. In other words, People get ripe at different times and in different ways to the idea of Jesus Christ. You've maybe seen that even to be true in your own life, the idea that Jesus in his Holy Spirit is working behind the scenes, doing the work that only he can do to soften people and prepare them for hearing the word of God. He, he's through encounters, through experiences. There's kind of a, a pursuit that's happening behind the scenes, and, and and for us to recognize that pursuit is critical. I'd say key in our attempts at reaching out. And for us to understand that it's okay when somebody's not ready or ripe to the gospel, that doesn't mean that you wash your hands of them and move on. That means that you continue to pray that God will do that softening in their heart and do what only he can do. And in the meantime, you continue Loving them, serving them, being their, you know, doing the, the, the piece that he's invited us to while he does his part, we do our part in that. And a, a lot of times it's just strictly loving and encouraging someone. So that's the, the picture and the idea. And you might ask me, how do you know if somebody is a ripe avocado, all right? You maybe wonder about that. You can't go around squeezing people, or maybe you can if you're awkward. Uh, but the, the idea is, here's the idea or principle, is that you throw out tastes of truth and you see how people are going to respond. And it doesn't have to be an intense thing. It can be even somewhat playful. There's a a guy at our the gym that I go to. And I've gotten to be friends with him the last couple of years. And I was just uh, just talking with him before Easter and was inviting him to come to one of the, the Easter services. And in fact, afterwards I decided, I was like, you know what? I'm going to just help with this. I'm going to email him uh, just an overview of the different service times and all that. And he sent me back uh, an email and it was just fairly simple. He said, thanks, but no promises. Thanks, but no promises. I'm like, all right. And so I responded to him. I sent him an email saying, so you're saying there's a chance. And then I attached this, this video. Maybe you recognize th- this one from back in the day. What are my chances? <laughs> not good. You mean not good like one out of 100? I'd say more like one out of a million. So you're telling me there's a chance. (laughs) Yeah! So that was my response to him. He responded with like a a confused emoji symbol. I don't really know what that meant, but he didn't come to Easter. Uh, So clearly uh, there's still a process going on there. And here's the thing for us to understand is for us, it's important for us to kind of check and see. And when you sense that somebody's not ready... And you don't try to force something upon them. You know, it's a it's a dance. It's not an assault. And so this is an important thing for us to understand and engaging in the world around us. We're going to see it firsthand in this text uh, this morning. Let me pray before we dive in. God, thanks uh, for this chance to be together already. And it's just sweet to be in your house. And uh, even as we mentioned, just sweet to slow down a little bit from the, the pulls and tugs of this world, a chance to literally... Recenter ourselves in elevating you appropriately, God. We ask now that you'd speak to us through this text, that you'd be great, I'd be small, that you'd allow this to pierce to our hearts and maybe even shape the way and the lens in which we see people. We know that that's possible only through your Holy Spirit, so we invite you to work in this room now. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. So chapter 13. So you guys are uh, hopefully turning there. It's so much easier for looking at this text together you can do that on your phone if you uh, don't have a Bible you can use one from the chair in front of you if you don't own a Bible, feel free to take uh, one of those home with you. little backdrop as you are turning there this is uh, we were in Acts just a couple weeks ago as explaining this this is part of Paul's very first missionary. Journey. I always feel bad because you always say Paul's missionary journey, and Barnabas is just like, what am I chopped liver? So Paul and Barnabas's first missionary uh, journey together, and they are there. And the first stop was to be in Barnabas's hometown, his area, and he also brought his cousin John Mark with them. And so their first stop on the island of Cyprus, which is a beautiful place, they got to, to visit. And they're going across. I would say based on the description that they didn't see a, a ton of response to the gospel. But you do notice the trend that I introduced, kind of a pattern, if you will, where the gospel is boldly proclaimed. And they definitely did that on the island. Then they, in response to that, there's some kind of opposition or some kind of coming against that. We saw that. Then we saw them persevere past that. And you saw people get saved and God glorified, and that's the trend that we'll see throughout the entire book of Acts of how it typically works, and maybe a a trend that you've even seen in your own life as you're engaging with people about spiritual things. So they spent time there, and you remember the opposition, a guy named Elemis, who was a magician in that area, opposed them, literally uh, becoming blind, which was a pretty intense scene there. And then ultimately the governor of the island, the the main leader of the island, uh, Sergius Paulus, fun Roman name, he accepted and embraced Jesus Christ. So the work there where they're checking to see receptivity to the gospel had come to a conclusion and they decide to move on, checking new trees for ripe fruit. Are we staying with this analogy? Are you tracking with me? So they move on, verse 13. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch and Pisidia. Little explanation there, what's going on. So they get on this, this boat. They had about 100... Here's a map for us. Uh, they had about 175 miles. See, they're down on this island uh, there of Cyprus. Uh, and so I show the, the map partially so that you understand these are real places. This isn't like a visit to Narnia. Like this is a, a specific area. They're heading from Paphos, 175 miles uh, across the Mediterranean to Perga, which is a, a port city. And then from there, they start traveling up to Antioch, which is not the Antioch that they started from over in the other, another city with the same name. Now, here's the thing is that that trip was about another hundred miles through like the most rough, miserable terrain possible. So they're going to every extent possible to reach out with the love of Jesus Christ. Are you tracking with me? It says in the text though, that John Mark left them and went back to Jerusalem. Uh, we don't know the reasoning about uh, or for that leaving. In fact, there's a lot of speculation. It's fascinating as I study some of these things how many people have opinions that really have no basis. You don't know, it doesn't say why, but we do learn later on in Acts 15 that this was a considered an abandonment by Paul. And when they're about to leave on their second missionary journey, they chose not to include, or Paul said, I'm not taking John Mark because he abandoned us last time. So imagine that in church world, a little bit of tension. I know it's weird, uh, but you, you get the idea here. Eventually reconciled, praise the Lord for that down the road. But Paul and Barnabas keep on plowing forward, looking for new trees just to see what kind of receptivity there's going to be in this specific area. And you might wonder, like, why are they heading to that random, hard-to-get-to space? Once they arrive, it's about 3,600 square feet above sea level, so a major uh, area there that had roads heading all across the region, so kind of a a central hub for impact, kind of present-day Turkey. Where they're, they're setting up camp just to see what God's going to do in that territory. So that's the, the big picture overview. And then we move as they're looking for ripe avocados to see kind of a, a zoomed in view of what's happening when they arrive. It says this in verse 14. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. Probably felt good to sit like many of you. After the reading from the law and the prophet's the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. Now, I want to pause there just for a second because who are they asking that question to? They're asking that to... Paul and Barnabas, if they have anything that they would like to share with the people, that's like asking a CNN reporter if they have any opinions on Trump. You know what I mean? Like it's like like the like the, they, they were anxious to dive in and like and, and they just go. Paul takes this opportunity uh, to to fully unload all of the Jewish history. He walks them through the background of Israel, God's faithfulness, his provision, all the way in verses 16 through 39, has like an all-perfectly laid-out history lesson, all leading to Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not going to have us read all of that, 16 to 39, because last time I read a big section, you all glazed over like donuts. So instead, I'm going to send that home uh, for homework for you guys to do. Is that fair? And so we're going to give a little bit of an overview. So walk them through the, the history of God's faithfulness in every era, kind of the same thing that Stephen did in his speech before being killed. And, and, and he walks them through a history of Israel All leading up to the coming of the Messiah, which was what everything pointed to. And so he's helping them, if you think about it, this audience, just connect the dots. Connect the dots of their history. See God's faithfulness and his provision. All leading to his ultimate provision of the great high priest that Chad talked about already. So we're moving all the way to verse 38 where he's summarizing. says this, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers... That through this man, he's been talking about Jesus Christ, forgiveness of sin sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. I'll explain that just for a, a, a second. First off, he says that it's through this man. He's been talking about Jesus Christ. In other words, pointing to there's only one way to be reconciled with God, and that is through Jesus Christ alone. Any other option is not a good option. This is literally the one path. And when we're sharing the gospel message, that's maybe one of the things where we're considered kind of being as uh, not very inclusive of other ways. But when there's only one way, there's only one way. So he's clear on that, explaining it. Then he describes to them who's invited. He says, everyone who believes. This is an invitation, not just for a few, not just for a select group. This is literally your eyes have never fallen on somebody that isn't invited to the grace that Jesus Christ offers. And he says to him that the person that does believe is set free from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. So I, I, I made a, a quick list and compiled the things that this, that this doesn't actually set you free from. I wanted to show you this list. Yeah, there, there's no list because it, it covers everything. Everything it literally, there's nothing that this doesn't cover. There's no sin, past, present, future, nothing you thought about maybe doing someday that doesn't that that separates us from the love of Jesus Christ and what his sacrifice on the cross restores us through. Pretty amazing news! So, this is his summary, and he says it just as he wraps it up from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses, in other words. There was no possible way that you could ever attain this based on your effort. So this is the gospel message. When you're trying to think through how to engage with somebody, this is the summary. There's only one way. This party is is for everyone. There's not something you could do to earn it. There's nothing that you could do to to, to achieve it. But it's only through one person and it restores you from every possible sin. That's the gospel message he clearly lays out. Then he sneaks in afterwards, and I think that's just because he's Paul. In verse 40, a little warning, Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. So he gives the, the explanation with a little bit of Isaiah mixed in there for emphasis, a little warning attached to it, and you think about that, how that works still today you present truth and based on the truth presented that's how you know if someone's receptive to the truth about jesus christ or not a lot of times until you actually speak up you have no idea whether somebody's open whether they're a ripe avocado or god's still doing some work behind the scenes right have you found that to be true i was having adrian and i were having dinner with a couple from our church uh, this week, and they were telling us the story of their, their son who's been inviting a, a friend from school to come to different church events here. And his friend has been coming and, and coming to a few different things and really enjoying it, connecting with people. And, and, and they said, you know what, but then we invited him to one other thing, and we got a text from his parents, and the text just simply said, stop inviting him to your church stuff. Pretty intense. So here's the thing. You could either get mad at that person, shake a fist, and be like, what are they, what are they doing? And that's the natural uh, what, what that evokes. But Or you can say, you know what? God's still working on them. God's still doing some ripening. Maybe it's not today. Maybe, maybe that, 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 that kid someday down the road, God's going to keep on pursuing him and make himself irresistible in his life. Maybe for the parents, there's still some ripening that needs to happen. That's what we're trying to discover as we reach out with truth. Now, it's been extended. Let's look and see. And as you guys are kind of assessing this, this next couple of verses, you tell me if you think they were receptive, if they're ripe fruit, or if they're resistant, based on verse 42. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Stop there for a second. Now, based on reading that, what's what's your gut? What's your feel? Do you feel like they were ripe, responsive, or resistant? What do you guys think? ripe and responsive. Good job. Good participation, guys. This idea that you think about all the clues that were there. Hey, they begged them to come back. It's usually a good sign, right? If somebody's begging you to come back. If they, if, they, if they physically followed them, if they urged them to continue with the message of God, and the next week when they do come back, if the whole place is packed, what does it say? Almost everyone from the whole town You see, in in that day and age, if you're meeting in a a synagogue, a synagogue could be as small as just a single person's home, just a a small gathering of of people. And here, the entire town. So, I mean, this is a a massive response, I imagine. Verse 45. I'm sorry, we'll we'll pause there just for one second. So this this idea that obviously they hit a nerve with the the city, it obviously connected with them. And I was thinking about that just in preparation what is it that actually resonated with the people there. What I'd suggest, I jotted this down, is that they provided the only possible solution for sin, God's intervention on our behalf. Think about that for a second. Start exploring and looking into other world religions and other options that are out there. Everything else points to what? Man's effort to reach up to God. That's the unique thing about the gospel message. This is God, and you've heard this if you've been in church world, that this is God literally extending his hand to mankind. And that's what people are like, whoa, that's awesome. That's that's an attractive idea because there's something inside of us that tells us, I can't do this on my own. It's not going to make it. You know, I'm a uh, this standard of perfection. I can't achieve that. There needs to be intervention on my behalf. And so they're drawn to that and invite them back, hungry to hear truth. For us, still today, that's still the case when you're presenting truth to the world around us. And look at this. What's to come? So we've already talked about this pattern. You have a bold witness, you see a positive response. What usually follows that next in the pattern that I described? Opposition. That's right. Verse 45, but when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. Stop there for a second. So all of a sudden, this this group, the, the leaders, when it says the Jews, it's referring to the religious leaders there. All of a sudden, they see these crowds gather, and what does it say sets in? What takes hold? Jealousy. See jealousy. See Paul's message was hard to swallow for anyone that was busy working for salvation. This idea of grace for anybody that's kind of stuck in this idea of I'm going to pull myself up by my own bootstraps and I'm going to earn it. I'm going to do this. That's a that's a hard message to swallow for somebody that's on a work program. And for them, they rejected that. And literally, it says that they that they began began debating with them, or it, it uses the. Uh, the word contradict. word contradict is the, the, the picture of when somebody says something and you're like, no, it's not. No, it's not. You, you ever have a person in your life that's like that, that just contradicts you on everything for no reason? And you're like, I didn't even know we were talking about something debatable. And uh, the, the, they, found a, they found a way to contradict. They opposed them and contradicted them on everything possible. And you see, that's usually how it works. It starts with an intellectual debate, and does not that still the same today? And you imagine trying to debate with Paul. Do you think that went very well? Do you think you'd do very well trying to argue with Paul? I'm guessing that probably didn't go real great. One, very well educated. Two, filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, between those two things, it probably wasn't a real good matchup. And so they're going against them and they move from contradicting to reveling. Uh, uh, the, the picture of the, in the NIV, NIV says, heaped abuse on him, heaped abuse on him. So they're looking to, they're like, hey, if we can't beat them at literally debating with them, we're going to just start shooting them down. We don't know if it was physical, if it was, what kind of torment it was, whether it was making fun of him, Maybe I, I've, I've read other sections that point to him being, being bald. Maybe it was bald jokes. We don't know exactly, but they opposed him. And the reason I bring that up is because it's important for us to understand in this whole outreach thing that we've been talking about for quite a few weeks is there's another player in the game behind the scenes. Sometimes in church world, people are hesitant to talk about, oh, there he goes. He's about to talk about the devil again. Like I knew it. We're in church. That's what they do. And, but but really, that that's that's part of the reality. Is it's not just God pursuing people and drawing him to himself. There's a work of the, the enemy using people like pawns to resist the message of the gospel. I have a friend who's a, a pastor, a pastor for a long time in In Florida now, he's actually in southern, uh, south of here in California, but he was uh, pastoring and uh, one of uh, the trips that he's on took him to Brazil where he was ministering. He was in Brazil and one of uh, the outreach events that he was at, he had the opportunity to share Christ with somebody that had literally never heard the gospel message. It's not that often that somebody hears it, and upon the very first time hearing it, they respond, but this particular gentleman, when he heard Grace explained the idea that that my sins had been covered by the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, this guy's like, I'm in, I'm in. And in that very moment, he was saying that that this this man uh, prayed to embrace Christ, but then after, after the prayer and after they had just talked for a minute afterwards, the guy literally physically ran off. Guys, uh, And and so my my friend Chet was just like, we we didn't know what was happening, like where he was going. Well, he he left for a short time in about 15 minutes or I don't know the exact time, but a a short time later comes back and came back with all of his closest friends that he wanted to hear the same message that their lives could be impacted too. Isn't that so cool? So he brings back and there's obviously, Chet's thinking there's a, a mini revival happening in this area. And then in the middle of him explaining to his friends what was going on and the good news of Jesus Christ, one of his buddies, literally from his, his pocket, takes out a knife and stabs him literally in the, in the lower back in response to this. Not Chet, but the guy that had just embraced Jesus Christ. You're like, what in the world? What would, what would compel that to happen? You see, the enemy has such a grip so often in people's lives he moves people to do things that they're like, I don't even know why they're doing that. That doesn't even make any logical sense. He ended up going to the hospital and still loves Jesus and survives, in case you're wondering where that story ended, which is good news. But here's the point that I bring that up, is there's a tug of war for people's souls behind the scenes, whether we realize it or not. There's there's a battle, if you will, whether we want to recognize it or not. I Just last week, even on Easter, would sense, like when he had the the time and a chance for people to respond to the gospel message, you could sense, maybe you sensed it too, even in this room, the tug of war that was happening in people's hearts and minds. That's what's going on, and it's important for us to understand that there's outside influences in this whole outreach endeavor that we're on. Does that make sense? Tracking with that, continuing on, verse 46, thankfully... They persevered past this. In verse 46, "...and Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you." So he's talking to his Jewish audience. "...since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles." that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Let's explain what, what's happening here. You see he's talking to an audience that's made up both of Jews and Gentiles. Jews would be of Jewish descent. Gentiles is everybody else. So if you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile, in case you're wonder, wondering how that works. So he's explaining to him. he's explaining, oh, since you're too good for this kingdom of God, since you're too good for eternal life, we're going to pass it on to others. Got me thinking of uh, growing up. We had a kind of a, a unique thing that would happen. Maybe it happened in your home. Uh, we had some set dishes that our parents were, mom would in, in my particular home that my mom would serve. Some of those were very well loved. Some of those, for instance, tuna casserole, not so much. Anybody else have a dish that you grew up with that you're just like, oh, when mom would serve it, you're just like, oh no, the tuna casserole always had these like really hard, crunchy noodles that, that like got overcooked at the top that you had to make your way through to get to the cat. Like, strangely though, I've grown to actually like a good tuna casserole, so don't don't boo me here now. But uh, but 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 anyway, this this idea, I remember we'd have conversations, and maybe you had this in your own household where my parents would say to us. Well, you know what? Around the rest of the world, a lot of people would be thrilled to have that meal. You ever have that conversation with your, your kids? There, there, there's starving kids around the world that would love to sit at the table right here. And often that would end with going to bed. Well, if you don't want it, then you can just go to bed without dinner, right? And, and if you had an extreme parent, I don't know if my parents ever did this, it would still be waiting for you there in the morning. Anybody have that parent? <laughs> That you, you, you got up in the next morning, it's still there for breakfast and, uh, until you figure out how to like tuna casserole. But, but here, here's the same picture, and the reason I bring up that silly story is this idea, and I'm thinking that for him, it wasn't him shaking his fist at them and being like, huh, oh, since you don't want it, we're going to give it to the Gentiles. I'm thinking it was a little bit more of a, a broken heart. He's talking to, to his people. He's, he's Jewish himself. And as he's saying, he's just, oh man, since since this, 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 this whole idea of the eternal life isn't something you want, we've got to turn the corner and we're going to extend it to, to the Gentiles. And that, that's what we've been commanded to do. I'm guessing it was a heartbreaking situation for Paul to see this play itself out. I'm guessing there was some intensity in that moment, he's moving on from them to find out if there's other more ripe avocados being Gentiles possibly. In verse 48, look at the response. It says, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of God. And all who were appointed for eternal life believed the word of the Lord spread through the whole region. Pretty powerful description here. If you were a betting person back then, not that I advocate that, but if you're a betting person, in your betting, which people group is probably going to respond to the message of Jesus Christ, I'm guessing some people would have lost a lot of money. Because the, the, the Jewish people had a wonderful background and history of God's faithfulness from generation to generation in their life. And all of a sudden you're thinking, who's going to receive this message? You'd be like, man, I'm, for sure the Jewish people, they're, they're, they're going to go for it. They're going to go for it. But instead, it's extended to Gentiles that had zero background or history. If anything, they've maybe heard stories, but it wasn't something that they were familiar with. And that's who embraced the gospel message. It says that they were glad to hear the news. Think about that as we personalize that still today. Isn't that similar? Sometimes, We assume one person's going to be completely open to hearing about Jesus Christ, and you present something to them, and they're like, nope, not interested. And then another person that you present to, and you're like, oh, they're they're never going to bend a knee. They're never going to be open to this. And they're totally open to it. It's pretty cool how God works behind the scenes. Nobody is beyond his reach. Important for us to understand that there's nobody that's beyond his reach that he can't draw to himself, he makes himself irresistible in their life. And for the Gentiles, can you imagine? For up until now, they've been on the outside looking into this exclusive group, and finally they're invited to the party. Made me think of how often when I when I fly and I walk past the first class seating area to my tiny seats in the back. There's a little bit of bitterness, no offense if you fi- fly first class, but I'll be just coming clean here as a pastor or in church. I, I walk past, and I look at the-, the-, the warm cloth that they've been handed. I'm like, I don't get a warm cloth. The, the-, 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 the drinks that they're participating in, I don't get offered those drinks. The-, the seat si- size, the reclining option, all of those things, and you're kind of walking by, and you go back in the back, and what happens? The stewardess, once the plane's going up, what do they do? <laughs> shut the curtain on you right they they're just like you're not included in all the sweet stuff going on up here but someday if you refinance your house maybe you can sit up here too anyway you get you get the you get the idea here the same picture I picture with the gentiles is they're 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 there and they've been on the they they've been in uh the, the back seating you know they're back by the wing and finally they're included in this invite and it says what what does it say in the text it says that when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord. And all who were appointed for eternal life believed. You see, God did a work there and drew them in and pulled them. They're like, all right, we'll, we'll take this. If you don't want it, we'll take it. Pretty powerful, beautiful picture there. I do feel a responsibility to explain to kind of a unique wording that you see in that verse there. Anybody catch that? It says, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. There's often a verse that's pointed to in the idea or picture of predestination. Are you familiar with that, that term? This idea that God chose us before we chose him. It's kind of caused a, a debate in church world. You've maybe heard the Calvinist-Arminian kind of debate thing if you're around church world. I think it's important to point to this here as one of those possible proof texts for the idea uh, uh, of this. And here's the important thing to understand about that is the foreknowledge of God predetermining who is going to be saved. It's a theme that's all over Scripture, even if we don't want it to be. Romans 8, 29, Ephesians 1, verse 4, verse 5, verse 11, 1 Peter 1, 3. There's so many passages that we could point to that point to this idea of God choosing us before we chose him. A lot of you right now even are like, oh, I don't, that's, that's kind of a hard one to understand or to swallow. But here, let me p- present something else. There's tons of passages that we can point to that point to personal responsibility and that we're given free will and we have a choice to decide whether we embrace Jesus Christ or not. And so there's two worlds in scripture that are presented that seem to contradict each other. And here's the important thing, and we talked about this in our Roman series if you want to look back and listen to that some, but here's the thing that I want to leave us with this big idea is that I believe both are true dun, 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 dun. Very controversial. And here's the thing. I'm not just playing Switzerland. You're like, pastor, pick a side. But 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 here, here's, the, here's the thing. That, that's not what I'm trying to say here. I'm saying I think both are clearly presented in scripture. In fact, sometimes I'll sit down and talk to one presenting one side. I'm like, man, that's a real strong argument. Then I'll sit down and talk with somebody who's presenting the other side. I'm like, man, that's a great argument too. And, and it's all based in, in scripture that they're pointing to. Here's the thing. I'm okay with not fully understanding how the God of the universe operates. Someone that's not bound by time and space. Like, anybody else okay with that without having everything figured out? I, I, I'm like, I find that refreshing. In fact, if you think you have God figured out, you're not being biblical because Scripture tells us right now we see through a glass dimly. At some point, we're going to see Him face to face and find out that we were all wrong about something. Anybody okay with that idea? So there we go. There's my little uh, mini explanation. You can write me letters later. Here's a move. Moving on back to this irresistible church, this irresistible church. And we'll wrap up with this. You see that it says that the word of the Lord spread through the whole region. How awesome is that? I told you that they are picking a very strategic spot there, and they, they, it actually bears fruit. Somebody was explaining to me how avocados work. I don't know if this is accurate or not. I, I've been uh, told in between services that it is accurate, is that the one way that you can speed up the process of an avocado getting ripe, and don't say paper bag, I know that's one too, but is you put a non-ripe avocado around a, a bunch of ripe ones and it seems to have a catching up factor that happens. Somebody explained to me after service some gases that are emitted. I don't know anything about gases emitted. But anyway, uh, you, you, you get the idea uh, There is, is this, And the reason I bring that up is because I'm like, isn't that the same spiritually? The idea that soft hearts help other hearts get softer. When you have a soft heart to the gospel and what he's doing in your life, when you're passionate about it, when it's fresh and alive in your life, guess what? It has a tendency to soften those around them. Up until this point upon their arrival, there's not a movement of uh, of people getting saved, but all of a sudden they show up there with soft hearts, new people embrace the gospel truth, and then those soft hearts, and all of a sudden before they know it, it's spreading out of control in that region. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region, and we see the same kind of pattern in verse 50, and we're not going to read that, but they, they raised up opposition against them. They actually moved them out of the town because the opposition was so extreme, and then verse 51, it says this, but they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. See, what they had done, it was already too late. The impact was already made. And here, this shaking off of dust, I don't picture that as a being done in anger. I think it's a picture of the understanding of this avocado principle that different people are at different places based on their receptivity to the gospel. Different people are at different places. And being okay with that, being okay with that. It doesn't mean that you quit on people and you're like, well, that's why I shook my dust on my brother-in-law. I'm not talking, you know, like that's, that's not what I'm saying here. I'm saying understanding that God is working and moving in people's lives. We're just partnering with him in that. And just because one avocado wasn't ripe doesn't mean you quit on avocados, Right? You, you you move on to the next one, and you're like, all right, we're gonna see we're gonna see where this person's at, and I'm gonna check with this person, and I'm not gonna quit on that first one I checked on. In a couple months, I might come back because who knows? Anybody had one person that you thought was completely never gonna be ripe, and then you come upon them later, and you're like, look at that! Now they're open to it. That's how God operates in this whole avocado business of His. Let me pray as we wrap up. God, I thank you so much for this picture and even this understanding of how we get to partner with you, and that's such good news that we don't have to change hearts. You do that. Your word tells us that you hold the heart of kings in your hand. We're grateful for that. We're grateful that we get to be a part of what you're doing, the work that you're doing, that we don't have to find it a chore. It's a privilege. It's an honor. I pray even going into the week ahead, we'd be just checking different fruits, seeing who's open, seeing seeing who's not. When someone is open, God, that you give us the boldness to proclaim Jesus Christ. When someone's not, just continuing loving them and serving them and praying for them. Thank you so much for your word and even how practical it is a couple thousand years later. We praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen 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 just two things just as you're going out today one uh, once a month we have our deacons fund which is one of the uh, ways that we support people that are maybe struggling within our community if you want to give towards that as you go you're welcome to do that and two i wanted to introduce you to a friend of mine this is bob hicks And uh, he's from Indiana, and he's the lead pastor of the church that we're partnering with to build the church in Ecuador. Does that make sense? So pretty excited about that. And uh, so you know I don't have imaginary friends. I wanted to actually have him come up here. And I'm even thinking about taking him to In-N-Out Burger for lunch. So anyway, make sure you say hi to Bob before you go. God bless you. Have a great Sunday.